Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the first Create More podcast with me Ben Stewart. Now, for those of you who know who I very uh cheekily reference that intro from fantastic you uh you know exactly how the uh, format of the next hour is going to go and for those of you who don't stay tuned till the end of the podcast to hear a nice story about who inspired this podcast and uh and also who's on next month's podcast so what is the create more podcast well i'm an architect i've been at make architects now for for almost five years and and just the architecture profession in general is huge and I, there's just so many other areas that I want to find out about and the podcast seems like the perfect way for me to go and interview other architects studios that I'm really interested in and then as I started I was like well I guess you could you could call them creative entrepreneurs so not just architects but you know designers musicians artists anyone really who has kind of been passionate enough to go out on their own and and you know focus on what they want to do and those people I want to then go and interview and hopefully over you know over around an hour of time I can create a, an interesting podcast that is uh, is interesting to you guys and if there's you know there's other areas that you guys want me to look at or people you want me to interview then please by all means look me up on Twitter on Played Studio and uh, also on the website playedstudio.com which is p l a y d studio which uh, is basically play with design that's uh, that's the website so hopefully over the next 12 months i'm going to try and do a podcast a month ideally may even be once every two weeks if i've got time and uh, yeah hopefully you, you guys enjoy it so on to this month's podcast uh, with Assemble Studios and i was uh, fortunate enough to sit down with the lovely Jane Hall from Assemble over at their studios uh, in East London and we talk about lots of stuff over about 50 minutes we talk about everything from whether uh, architecture is art uh, all the way through to massive five meter green uh, foam clad flying saucers so you know standard interview and uh, I really hope you enjoy it So we're basically starting now. Yeah, But yeah, what yeah. I wanted to do was um, I tutored like a part one. Uh, okay. He came for like a work experience thing. And it was really fun. At Make? Yeah, at Make. And it was really fun him finding out loads of extra stuff about Make. And then he wanted to know loads of stuff. And I was like, I don't know. There's loads of things I don't know. So then I was like, well, I want to know more about. So we were discussing practices that we both really liked. And your okay. name came up. And I was like, I want to know how they do it. Because... You've done the Cinerolium. Cinerolium, I still can't say it. But yeah, so we'll introduce so So I'm okay. with Jane from Assemble Studios. Thank you very much for letting Hello. me come here. Hello. And uh, when I told people that I was going to interview the the practice, everyone wanted to know, like, how many people are Assemble and how did you start? And because the Ciner, Cinerolium. Yep. <laughs> so that was like the first project that I, which I found out and I remember cycling past and thinking someone set up a cinema in a petrol station that's awesome but how did that how did that even start and was that the first project that Assemble did 
or or does was it a uni project that became an actual project that's what i wanted to know um so the cinerolium um i suppose we began talking about it in 2009 just after we'd all graduated from cambridge university mm. doing our undergraduate architecture degrees um and like all good plans uh or projects they start in the pub Perfect. So, so we were like, you know, talking about our part one jobs and um, kind of knowing that we'd only be doing that for a year or two before going back to part two. And that what would be really great would be to see an entire project through from kind of first brief and design stages um, to kind of complete construction, which was not likely to happen for all of us. Um, working in practice and we also just wanted to kind of continue working together and um, kind of indulge in making and yeah, learning perfect. Um, how things put together so so we it seems quite kind of audacious now but we um, just approached a developer who owned the site and his offices were in Mayfair and we just asked him if we could borrow his 10 million pound petrol station now i'm glad for five you, weeks glad you said it was audacious because when i saw it i was like well it must be a club or or a general like cinema chain who's put it on and then when when i met you at make because <laughs> really? we were both working together you're like yeah no we did that i was like i didn't know you could just rock up to a developer yeah, and yeah, say yeah. alice one, one of the uh assemblers just just asked the guy and he he actually was like started going on about how like his um his grandfather was an architect and how he really didn't know how he'd ended up being a developer and he'd love to have been an architect and um they'd just lost um their planning permission for the site was running out um and the funding so it was kind of mid-crisis so he really didn't know what was happening um so the site was going to be just left empty and we just showed him a kind of sketch idea of the cinerolium um and yeah he just gave us the keys for the whole time but we were a really loose group of individuals it was a kind of a, an average of sort of 15 people um but then we started just absorbing kind of um others when we needed skills so we brought on friends who are electricians um amica who's in our group who now leads on architectural design projects actually has a background in english and in running um cinema so we were like, oh, we need someone to help us with projection. So Ameka came in. So we had all these kind of diverse um, skills that we kind of drew on. And so the kind of group became defined by those who just had helped to build it. Um, so we've had people come and go over the years just based on that. There's no like just official <laughs> official group. Just there. an organic development of, all right, yeah. we need you, you and you and yeah, you. Yeah. We need 10 people <laughs> to build it. We're a team. Yeah. And there'd be people who just like a couple of friends who I think were students at the time who we actually barely even knew. Um, just turning up every day, not asking anything from us, didn't want to continue afterwards, but just would come and like sew and hammer curtains for like 10 hours a day. And then disappear and never see them again. And we were like, oh, yeah, do you remember when Seth turned up every day? I wonder what he's doing now. So it's, it's really amazing that you can just engage people. And I, f I feel like the way that happens is if you can offer something collective that people can take part in and kind of feel ownership. So of. so then once, so you, did, you had a program, you were like, well, we need to finish it in six weeks eight weeks two weeks and then you, you must have had loads of stuff tacked on right we need to the cinema will go live and we'll did you sell you sold tickets for it yeah right? yeah so how, yep. did you, how did you go about like drumming up interest and stuff like that 
Did you have another um, friend who was a, a, a someone who worked in <laughs> promoter. like... Promoter. <yeah. laughs> we thought we might need to actually and we like just were approaching loads of people who we thought would have cinema contacts who could like promote it. But because we'd chosen a site which was so, you know, it's like on Clerkenwell Road. Amazing. Um, so exposed. Like lots of people did just pass by and like, you know, be comment on what was going on. And actually there was only 118 seats. So it wasn't really only, only well, but that's you know that is actually very few, and the whole model was we just wanted to cover the costs of running it and building it, um, so we made the tickets as as cheap as possible, and so it wasn't a kind of exclusive thing, um, and the whole idea was to try and kind of make cinema going about more than just sitting down and watching a film but mm. about the kind of social aspect around it that has been lost by the kind of big complexes that you know multiplexes that so did you so you in. had things that happened around it before the film happened or was it more a social thing you had a bar did you yeah have a bar yeah you'd come in oh, we had just throwing a bar we well, had pick not? a mix <laughs> bars are the best way to to drum up money bet, that's yeah. how the whole thing was um supported we bought we bought a popcorn machine and we were like making popcorn it was, you know, it's little things like that. It's like, um, you know, making fresh popcorn on the site rather than buying it created those smells which then animate the space. We had kind of neon and all sorts of things. So it was about transforming this garage into something that could evoke cinema. That was like the challenge. Yeah. Um, and there's this kind of weird parallel between cinema going of the kind of 50s and 60s and that time when the automobile became kind of the symbol um of modernity and both of those things have kind of seen a decline so we wanted to kind of bring the programs together and see what um how they could be kind of um compared or contrasted to such a great idea. to create a new environment and how long do you have the cinema open for it was well so we were working off the back of temporary events licenses so for any one site i think you can have 15 um, temporary events licenses in one year so we were open between Thursday to Sunday for I think it was five weeks or something um, so that was, that, that was full yeah. time then or I guess you were working at Make yes I was the- like running out of the office <laughs> running a cinema right, yeah, just- but also we were like 20 people so we kind of had a rotor and you didn't have to be there every single night it was going to work that's the joy of working in the collective is that like you will help each other out and the uh, I just think it all kind of comes together. How did you part ones think you are, honestly? When I was a part one and I did my year out, I was nowhere near as proactive as that. I think that's what impressed me so much. You're like, yeah, you just got 20 people together, ran a cinema, you know, did a bar, you know, no no biggie. Had but I think that's the thing. It's like, as an individual, it is incredibly hard to get anything off the ground. Mm. But when you have 20 people, if one person does something and it's successful, they, they're like dragging you along with them. So then you're like, you know, you're kind of inspired by your peers to see what else you can do. So, you know, when Alice got the keys and got the yes from the developer, it's, you know, we're like invincible. We're like, right, well, we have to do this now. So <laughs> yeah. now I'm going to call Tyvek and find out whether they can give us free material. And then someone else called Formica and suddenly truckloads of like right. kind of surplus was arriving. So it just builds up momentum and you like, yeah, I guess it's a, like an entity in itself, right? So, so... Once, did you have to have like building control, structure engineers? Because you built seats, yeah. so you didn't have the roof. Obviously, that was the Tyvek that came down. But you had yeah. There was the there was the like, is the wind going <laughs> to make these Tyvek curtains pull the entire structure down? So we actually called up 
Arup who had built the structure in the 80s and you know they told us about that it had been weighted for snow loading and stuff and for that project we didn't have any structural engineers but we did take structural engineering friends around to advise and that's also why in our first few projects we worked a lot with scaffolding because scaffolders have in-house engineers who will make sure that the structure is safe so that's how we kind of got round um those kind of Such initial issues because i was we were chatting with my friends and we were saying that um current university you come out as a part one and then you just get thrown in to a big practice right and then a lot of the stuff you learn at uni you, you just learn everything new again in a big practice whereas when i saw the cinema Cinerillium. It seemed like such a great, just a step up from making models. You just made a much bigger actual working. You learn, it's a working model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you learn how everything fit together. You learn budgets, timescales, everything. Yeah. Which seems like a way better process to learn to go into a real job than just being thrown in and kind of learning it all yeah. while you're in there. Because it, it gives you a sense of the start and the finish of every project, even like when you first start. Whereas on a big project, you know, mm-hmm. like Broadgate, when we worked on it, it was, you know, years and years and years of design development. But I will always value detailing that three floors of basement. <laughs> ah, the basement. <laughs> <What's> an experience. <laughs> um, but I think that's also the thing is that I think, you know, when you're working with people, you're not necessarily aware of the skills that they all have. Mm. So, I, for example, like the um, cinema seats that we designed, we kind of collectively decided an approach that they would try and kind of best mirror the kind of flip up velvet seats of cinema going mm. from the 50s but obviously this was not going to be something we could achieve so we would do it in scaffolding boards but we would still try and like capture the decadence of, mm. of that piece of furniture and so in our group we had actually some people who were very skilled furniture makers who we all together built prototypes but they kind of led more on that side and people started to take on things that potentially they had more experience in but then because you would work with people and see these things happen you would learn as you would go away go go along but you would you would never have that kind of um fear or overwhelming sense that you had to do every Mm. single thing which maybe if you're working alone on a new thing when you're very young for the first time it's too much to to take on and I think that's the thing that we learned more was how do you all of the kind of um, administering side of the project and how you just get something on site and organise it was the <clears throat> the kind of big learning curve as opposed to like how to use a drill or how to like yeah. make a good joint. Because um, <laughs> I, you know. I guess as well that that's... How many projects have you done assembled on that? You've done like 15 or something now, haven't you? Um, I think we've got like 25 projects right. that have happened or are happening and we've had many, many more. Because it's set, it's set quite a nice language all of your projects there's because i think that was one of the things that i think assemble one of the reasons i like the website so much is there is a real sense of uh, continuity between each project there's always a sense that you've had a um a tight budget and then inside of that you've worked backwards from your budget to try and achieve everything you wanted to in like easier to get materials and then work those materials a lot harder it's because i was i was looking for um the the folly for a flyover which again that was your second project yeah wasn't it? Yeah, the second one. Great second project. <laughs> but that was a year later, wasn't it? Yeah, that was exactly. So at first we were, I mean, when we did the folly, we still weren't a defined group. We were still just a group of friends who were like, oh, what should we do next summer in our holidays? 
Um, and we only became a defined group because we needed to get a bank account because they wanted to give us funding for the folly and they needed to pay it to someone, a company, not an individual. <laughs> so we were, we were forced into practice rather yeah, than... Don't want to be a practice. Yeah. You've got to give you money. Um, uh, so yeah, that's how, yeah, that was the second, the second one. But I think there's always been a sense that we do all collectively share as an approach is a kind of enjoyment of making the most out of materials but mm. sort of finding kind of joy in them um and also kind of subverting or innovating just like experimenting mm. with what you can do with with materials it's just like so much fun making stuff and transforming things Definitely. Um, and and as well the the um temporary nature of the structures well this was another thing we we're talking about was uh I guess it gives you a bit more freedom to play around. You know, it doesn't. It's not. It doesn't need to last twenty five, fifty years, or whatever. So, you you don't have to worry about the longevity of the materials and the detailing. You know, you know they'll last six months or however long some of the projects last. So, does that give you a lot more freedom to to kind of play around with materials and structures and stuff? Yeah, some sometimes it also comes with this kind of added sort of guilt that it's incredibly wasteful to do a temporary project mm. and with a lot of material and so what could or should happen to these materials afterwards and I think at first we really tried to build in an afterlife to our projects um uh so for example the folly all of those bricks the wooden the timber bricks have been used um to build a playground at a primary school opposite the site um so there's like a little shed and there are all these planters and so that was like a really nice reuse but the the process of creating translating them from how they'd been used in the folly to create a playground involved you know a kind of i think it was like a month's work just to plane the, the bricks down so that they could all be used to rebuild something else so the process of kind of reuse isn't as straightforward as just taking material and applying it somewhere else um so in a way we've also become reasonably kind of critical or wary of mm this idea of reuse and making sure that it's appropriate to do and to shy away from it when it's not but the first few projects the idea of the temporary was more about challenging perception mm. so with the cinerolium it's like um this is either a petrol station or we're going to knock it down and we're going to build flats it can't be anything in between so that was really the kind of you know how can this space be reimagined for mm. something useful or engaging um and then with the folly, it was a piece of space that no one wanted to own under a motorway flyover by the canal. And actually there was this argument between, I think it was like Hackney Council, TfL and um, British Waterways, who nobody wanted to claim ownership of that site. Nobody wanted Nobody to. wanted it because then they'd have to maintain it. And then we finally worked out, I think that it, it was the council's. Um, and Were the council like... Damn it, damn it, assemble. Now I have to look after <laughs> well, it. Well, then they got an assemble project, so <laughs> now it's, you know. But I mean, to the, the, the idea of that project was to demonstrate that this piece of essentially kind of wasteland, which had a really bad reputation and was completely covered in graffiti, mm. could actually be a really great place for leisure and an asset to the community. And we were really worried that, you know, we'd just build something and then it would just get trashed. And we put a container on there first and overnight it got graffitied and we're like this is gonna be this is gonna be awful we've already proved that what we want to do is going to be a failure 
And then we built the folly and it was up for kind of two and a half, three months. And we had not one single problem with it because I think if a space is valued and cared for and something productive and interesting is going on in it, then it, it, it is respected. And now I think that, that the use of that as a temporary project demonstrated that um, if more capital funds are available, something permanent could happen um, and transform a space and its I reputation. It, I just find it incredible that because I've cycled past there onto the yeah. stadium and it is it is so dodgy down there. And yeah, it's, it's, there's no one around. We used to have raves down there. That used to be like the guy who came and did our bat survey. We had to get a bat survey. <laughs> um, the guy who did the bat survey, we 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 did it with him because it was cheaper if we helped him. Um, so we did it with him, and he was talking about yeah, he used to go party under these motorways. Now he's doing bat surveys. Wow, really weird. How the mighty have fallen. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and was that again you had to organize events and stuff again was that like yeah. community-based events because did you go to to local councils and see what groups were going or any local areas and try and get them to you know inhabit that space or do classes because it's a massive space I mean it was huge wasn't it yeah it was pretty it was pretty big we, we, we wanted to use it as a sort of platform for um events to happen in the summer and um we kind of worked with muff art and architecture who'd done a really like comprehensive survey of that entire area to see what all the diverse range of creative activities and, and other activities that, that happen in the area so we kind of engaged with many groups which they had kind of uncovered mm. um already and invited them to do that and at that point there were kind of quite a lot of interest in programming so people really kind of took on that side of things and and organized it and and we had a film thing again as well because it was done in partnership with the barbican who had an animation exhibition on so we were their kind of satellite um kind of venue so they provided a lot of content as well i mean it, it just it, it looks fantastic as well because you just had the tip of the building just poking just poking out yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just to confuse people as they drove also the, the so the idea was kind of referencing those nail houses in china where you know some somebody wants to come and build a road through someone's house and instead of you know they that the person refuses to move the house stays and then the road has to like go around it so the folly we had this site which for it's kind of inexplicable. I don't know if we ever resolved it, but the road just splits in half. Um, and so there's just this void between between the flyover. So we put we put our little building up there, kind of reimagining the space with this like narrative that the road had to be built around our stubborn little house. So, so, um, so you do have that strong level of uh, narrative concept running through the whole thing so it this as a group do you sit down and really like uh engage in the concept and then run that through the entire way because i would imagine inevitably when the thing gets more complicated you have to build it suddenly your concept becomes a little more rounded around the edges and uh, but it seems like you really do strongly link it all the way through and then your reuse at the end as well um i think it depends away i think we kind of not speaking for all of us, but the, the approach very much is um, we take on projects that like interest us mm. on a reasonably actually like individual basis. Um, and the, the first thing usually is just kind of breaking apart the brief and working out what the kind of interesting challenge is um, and working out whether that brief needs to be rewritten. Um, and, and so often the story or the narrative or the history of a, of a project and how it's come to be is the most 
interesting thing like our the housing in liverpool which we're working mm. on the the community land trust there have been working for 20 years to get this project off the ground and and actually what they've been working towards and how it's informing the kind of work that's happening now is like the thing that's got to be celebrated rather than mm. designing something um you can't really necessarily translate that into design but you can as you know work and create a process which will will generate a good design um but yeah it, it depends what the project is and i think that's the way we work we're not i think it's interesting that you kind of say that there's this sort of obvious uh thread you know that you can see in terms of a kind of approach or style for I our website so, yeah, yeah. which is is quite funny to reflect on that because i you know i i would agree that it's there's something that's obviously very much mm. shared but at the same time we try and um, create an environment where every single person can explore their individual interests and take on projects which maybe someone else would not want to do um, um, and that the assemble is really a platform for people mm. to to do their own thing and but be supported by a wider community so we've never particularly had a project where it's been turned down based on some sort of really? group principle so um, after after then because that was your second project yeah two summers in a row yeah. You're still all part one. Do you have any? You could, none of you have gone back to do part two at this point. That yeah, at the end of 2011, about half of us went back to do part two. But that was after yeah, after the folly. And you'd got two projects back to back in, in all the architectural press, which is amazing, right? You're like yeah, <laughs> yeah we're doing all right. So do we pretty, need to go back? Do we we're pretty press shy. Um, a couple of people, you know, are just like this is far. This is far more far more fun. I want to you know carry on doing this. Mm don't need to go back to part two whereas i think a lot of other people felt that part two was a a way of just exploring another avenue that it could offer something else that neither practice nor initiating your mm. own self-build projects could do either um well suddenly the idea of being yeah. budgetless and clientless back at uni must yeah. have been quite an appealing prospect well that's partly why i wanted to go to the royal college of art because you, you they just take that and and run with it and they engage you with so many other kind of um ideas about what architecture should be mm. um in a way that i think a lot of schools don't necessarily focus on so it was really attractive to go there because it was like well i'm not going to get this in assemble i'm not going to get this in any other thing so i think part two kind of complemented yeah because um, so like when after part two because yeah. again the there's not that many practices that do what you do like kind of smaller temporary pop ones or have been successful there are lots of practices i guess that do at times time but once you come back again it's like uh the reality is there's a lot of practices that don't engage in this kind of pop-up stuff so have you found part two really beneficial are you really glad you've done part two or are you like oh well i guess i'm going back into the architectural industry or have you are you going to go down have you changed your view of architecture since doing your part two I don't know. I think I think I I I enjoyed part two, but I all I think I already knew before I went to do it that it didn't really have anything to do with working in practice or wasn't mm. necessary for practice. And I think what it has um, engaged me in is a more kind of critical approach that's based in research. Um, so now I'm doing a PhD about alternative practice, which kind of. What does that mean? So it's looking at um, methods and design practices that sit outside of traditional roots 
of kind of architectural design, which architects, you know, employ to, well, that's what the kind of study is, is looking at why and how um, these kind of um, techniques um, are used. So it kind of mirrors slightly what, we, what we're doing trying to do it assemble i'm looking specifically at interdisciplinary practice collaboration hmm. alternative methods of construction um and trying to kind of look at what roles there are for architects which maybe aren't necessarily considered normal um so you know it's really i don't i it's really no i think that sounds like a really good thing to have come out to do because that's exactly what part two should do right yeah. increase your awareness yeah. or interest uh, yeah and i think it's really nice to be able to balance that kind of academic internal research um process with live projects that are genuinely trying to to use these alternative practices to create sustainable mm. um work so um, have you all been kind of studying architecture or uh, the majority of you studying architecture uh, part two and doing assemble kind of at the same time is that is that how it's able to sustain 18 people i guess you know like because everyone kind of chips in as much as they can and it kind of the the momentum's still there <laughs> i guess yeah i don't because I, I i think assemble was never something that people sat down and down and decided this is this is what we're doing mm. it's just kind of evolved so the the few people who didn't go back to do part two just kind of started going out and trying to get other projects and um we built sugar house and tried to make this into a kind of venue and and stuff and that was really what are we in sugar house yes, now this, this is, is sugar house yeah. and then what's the one across the way so so sugar house is the kind of main warehouse space where our office is that we share with some carpenters called workshop east um who run the workshop for us and then we have yard house which is yard um the, the artist studios that that we built so kind of building up this community and establishing it was was a kind of project in itself um, and but obviously when we all graduated there was suddenly a workforce mm. and so we went out and got some work <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's definitely been a kind of organic thing so it's hard to say mm. it feels like assemble potentially is something that's quite easy to define but even only a year ago it was would have been more impossible because i different. guess you know i keep saying about the website it's got a nice theme to it if, if say, this was the same setup, but 15 years ago and the internet just wasn't, you know, that widely used. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, there was a time before the yeah, internet? Yeah, apparently. It was all in black and white. <laughs> I remember this. That's why uh, our website's in black and white. <laughs> oh, yeah, We're channeling analogue. But, like, it, it exists on that website, right? Like, everyone comes and feeds into the website. But if you didn't have a website, you're saying that people would just... Because the, the, the temporary nature of your pro uh, projects means that every six, like, three months, they disappear, right? So, you... This this uh, sugar house and the yard house, the kind mm. of they're the first permanent, like fully permanent ones you've done. Well, I suppose this is isn't really permanent in that we don't own it. We have a lease which will be running out in the next eighteen months, and oh, we are okay. going to move. Um, and you know, yard house, we built it so we could take it down and take it with us. It's that kind of like house moving thing. Um, but it was a, what was what did, I can't remember what order we did things in now. Oh, I, I feel like I should explain board. where we are to people listening. We're, we're kind of in a very large <laughs> warehouse, right in the middle, in a self-contained box in a very large warehouse. And this we, is your we lovely. We used to call it our above-ground bunker. I bet. <laughs> it's, it's a concrete. Uh, so you kind of lock. come in and you're in a workshop, and then you come through the door, and there's a wonderful little white room, and you've got your computers and desk in. But you are in a live work. There's like there's so there's carpentry. There's carpentry, stone masonry. Um, and then the artists in the yard house are just a kind of eclectic.
eclectic mix of super talented people mm-hmm. who make everything from textiles to we've got a fiberglass whale being built outside actually why wouldn't you yeah, yeah um so that's a fun one um so it's a real kind of like community of shared skills i think what it's really helped us realize is that although we're interested in making there are people who are actually experts mm-hmm. and that that <laughs> maybe we should just sit back and do the kind of idea design side and then engage more skilled people to collaborate with rather than yeah try and try and do it all ourselves but um, But then you promote their work and then you know you work with them they get money and you get yeah and it's so much more like you learn so much more easily when you can just nip next door and ask Mm. someone actually how should this kind of joint work and what's the best way of making this it saves so much time um, and the people you leased this warehouse off are they are they interested because i think you said last time we spoke they were interested in kind of moving you somewhere else or or they're they're developing this whole area they've got this kind of 10-year plan and we're the last phase so um they will be moving us on and we're currently looking for for someone to 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 take us but we want to expand we see sort of sugar house as a as a as, as a project in itself to try and create a kind of sustainable creative community because mm. the way um, it's set up is it's a it's a kind of beautifully made kind of a house it looks like a house on the outside but it's got like what six studios in and people eight studios and people rent each little kind in the of yard space. house yeah in the yard yeah. House, right? yeah it's 16 bays and people rent a bay um and it's really nice because they've created their own community and when we move on they want to they want to all come together yeah, which is really nice because i don't think you necessarily get that in a normal artist studios where you yeah. just rent you know like a cold room somewhere and by yourself or a desk and everyone's moving about like everyone feels a but walking around there that felt exactly like what i remember uni being like when you're stuck in your little (laughs) studio pods right you know like everyone chatting everyone like painting their own little rooms whatever color they wanted to and stuff and we have you know kind of events here so they kind of have open studios and exhibit their work and sell stuff and that's always really nice as well to kind of see that see that all happening um because my favourite part of uh, in makes offices is being by the model shop. You get to see stuff being built and you learn, you see so many different projects yeah. all being built at the same time, all doing little cool stuff that you, you pick stuff up, which is exactly what must happen here, right? So all of your exploration through different materials and things, you just feed off each other, right? So I guess, so how many of you now in here are, are permanent? Is anyone like full time here? Um, yeah, there are a few people who are full time. A lot of people have teaching teaching roles, um and uh yeah it's it's a bit of it's a bit of a mix the way we operate is that you take you take on projects that interest you that you have time to do and you can like pick and choose your workload so it's really easy to come and go Mm. um and um take on whatever you need to do or want to do at one time so it's really super flexible and people sometimes kind of pursue research trips or go away and work for other people in other offices or they come back it's really open and when someone gets a project in and do you because remember last time i came you were saying all right we've got to go because we're going to have like a, a peer review or you're all going to sit down and chat pan assemble pan assemble there yeah. you go <laughs> so do you, do you all sit down is that because yeah. you know i say there's consistency through the projects is that how do you all go you don't go that's rubbish take that down you go well what about this or we could do this we do say that's rubbish why are you doing that brutal it is it can be it can be quite brutal but the the fights punches (laughs) (laughs) never had a fight there's been some yet yeah um (laughs) no so every monday we review two to three projects 
and every project will have a couple of reviews during its lifespan and it's supposed to be a way to not only like update everyone on um kind of where the project's at Mm. but also an opportunity for the couple of people who'll be running the project to ask for advice or kind of feedback or you know if they've run into a particular issue with the client or um how to construct something then and then they could get the feedback from the wider group in a kind of um uh in a in, yeah in a in a way where we can all kind of discuss it but the autonomy really does lie with the people leading the project so it's up to them to interpret that feedback and react <laughs> yeah. to it or not no one's going to 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 stop them because it's the people who've been working on it that know the most about it and know what's best for it so um so that that kind of that works out kind of kind of quite well and um, the kind of the you've got the scale of projects you're working now is is the plan to try and get bigger bigger projects like like the yard house like yard house and it's try and expand and increase the size of assemble or are you happy with the kind of scale and size do you, do you turn down work for example yeah we turn down work we don't win work we um <laughs> um so we're, we're we're just based on the principle that we pursue what interests mm. us at any one time um so when we won goldsmiths you know it was a complete surprise because we never done a a gallery or really a building before yeah. and and goldsmiths university kind of took took a took a very good risk with us um, <laughs> um so now now we're doing an art gallery so it's like which, yeah which is, which is really exciting yeah. but it's not something that was kind of actively pursued it's like we really want to get into cultural projects it was more like <laughs> this looks like a really interesting yeah. project which is the nicest it do cool stuff it's yeah. the nicest way to kind of self-regulate yourself isn't yeah. it is that cool no we're not doing yeah um so yeah assemble as the size it is based on the volume of work that's interesting to the people who are working here at I'm the glad, moment i'm glad you brought up the gallery because that is a quite a large step up in in every way isn't it so yeah. is is everyone like well this is like a big deal now so we're like we need to get d- the skill sets here do you all like chiming because that's that's a kind of significant amount of work isn't it that's yeah it. yeah i mean well we yeah people kind of work across it and and help out but we're you know we're working with, with really great structural engineers and m e consultants mm. who are sort of very knowledgeable and um help and uh, kind of help develop it but it's it's also it's just a like learning process that you just deal with everything as it comes and it's by no means beyond the kind of capabilities that that people have um here it's just applying it to a different so how far along typology is the gallery is it still in the early concept stage is stage moving on to stage e which was that now four stage four yeah um so it's going on site this summer and what will be complete next year so that's incredible that's really exciting are you involved in that or is it is, i did is, the competition and have worked a bit on it um but i'm not on that directly anymore um uh yeah no, that's an exciting one massive really how, exciting. how big is it like how like uh, i can't remember them. It's, it's 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 big, big. it's big it's big well we're renovating a grade two listed um it's like swimming pool um in in new cross which has existing art studios of the kind of fine art students and and we're kind of putting a gallery on the back and it's about kind of carving out this existing space but also offering a kind of diverse range of new spaces so it's kind of celebrating what what's found there Mm. and trying to make the most of it um but also you know not 
provide but well so not providing the kind of you know white box thing that you'd expect in a gallery um but uh recognize that you know like work should be challenged by the space that it's being displayed in has it been because has it been a lot more work than you expected like because it's it's so complicated as well like a gallery there's so many things to take in or are you like no we're assemble take on the chin (laughs) (laughs) no i mean it's obviously like a lot of work but that yeah that's like totally expected it's you know when um, you because i was wondering when you um when you negotiate the fee are they like uh, your students you don't you don't get a decent fee or you're like no no we're assemble like you know actually the most expensive really yeah we're the most expensive damn straight exactly (laughs) well you know perceived added value like look at all the things you know especially how much artistic press you get and things so i think ooh, with the microphone yeah I know. <laughs> so sensitive but i so can't we're getting up to the uh, getting up to the 40 minute mark so oh, gosh. I, okay sorry no it's been fantastic no, i've quietly talked for ages i will talk for ages uh the the turner prize oh no yeah because you, you i told you and you're like it was amazing we had no idea we were going to get it just out of the blue you just yeah. I mean it's it to me that seems huge but you're like mm, yeah it's amazing it's, I suppose you know we just never c- consider ourselves with you know a group that would ever be nominated for the Turner Prize I think or, or it's or obviously any architect, I guess. Well, yeah um although we're not architects so maybe oh, yeah, sorry, yeah, so, so. yeah but the um uh yeah it's, it's obviously just like catapulted us into a whole different type mm. of conversation um, and also brought a lot of attention to the project um, in Liverpool for which we've been nominated, which is really great because it gives a platform for that story kind of that, to be told. Did you say it's been going for 20 years? Yeah, they've so... been trying to get this off the ground for 20 years. So really, it's them, not us. Um, mm. And it's really great that uh, they're kind of um, uh, embracing that. Which is perfect for the project. I mean, are you, so it's, is it definitely going ahead then if it's been nominated for a Turner Prize? Well, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? It's like for the Turner Prize, people normally get nominated for a complete bit of work mm. and we've been nominated for a bit of work that's barely Potent- on site. Barely, potentially almost It's not actually, there. it's like you can, go and, you, can, you, can, you can go to the construction site now, you know. It's like probably still going to be going on when the exhibition happens in Glasgow. So I guess that's why it's a little bit controversial, isn't it? It's because you're exactly right. So what what can we go and see? Well, it's not yeah. been built yet, but you know. But the more. danger is also, you know, like what's the art? Mm. And we're very wary that like people's housing is not necessarily art, but that I think that's partly, you know, the the uh, uh Alistair Hudson who nominated us. That's mm. his kind of um uh, interest is to to ask those questions so it'll be interesting to see what people say but meanwhile we're just getting on with the project yeah. which is I guess that's a, just priority. a debate that will rage on in the architecture yeah. what and it, has been is, raging on yeah. it's not a new <laughs> when is not a new topic art is always architecture yeah. Come on. but it's interesting because you, you start to start like I suppose we've always just considered that what we do is architecture because we have architectural mm. training and we are very like interested and engaged with actual kind of building and mm. a lot of people in assemble want to do architecture um but we also see that our the range of other issues interests that we have um have architectural applications yeah or originate within architecture so it's it's funny to to see the parallels between some of those ideas also being important in an art 
space-based context. Like um, with with the Folly Project, if you took away the seating and made an encased house that just popped up. Yeah, that, that but that was an arts commission. That was technically a piece of artwork. And mm. for all of our projects, we are operating as artists. Um, even for goldsmiths, they've essentially employed artists to to build them a, a an art gallery. So I think it does, it's, it's yeah... It's, it's interesting because it kind of undermines the role of the architect professionally, mm. but I think also demonstrates how architecture can be made in, in different ways. And a lot of people in Assemble are very keen to to become architects and, and get mm. their part three, and it's something we're actively looking into. So it's not a statement on, um, you know, against architects. <laughs> it's more It's more kind of what can the profession do to um, kind of embrace uh, or kind of demarginalize the architect. So I know you're not, you know, you're just getting on with the project, but when do you find out if you win or not? I think it's December. Oh man, that's ages yeah. away. Got to go to Glasgow to see whatever we, we need to do just some, to we need to do some art. <laughs> nah, you've done all the hard part, you got nominated. <laughs> so when do you actually start building or is that still up in the air? The, pro- the project itself? Yeah, yeah. The, it's on site now. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're doing... 10 houses for the Community Land Trust, working with them um, to, uh, yeah, working on working with them and five houses are nearing completion and then another five houses are, are going to happen immediately afterwards. But it's part of a much wider, There, I think there are three projects in Toxdef that we've been variously involved with to, to mm. kind of help um, uh, sort of build, help them rebuild mm a kind of quite uh, kind of area of city that's not had much love or attention from mm. the powers that be for a while. Yeah, I still remember you showing me some of the photos. It's just like a, it's a bit like a wasteland, that estate, isn't it? But it's, it's just been untouched. No, but it's, it's amazing because it's, 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 you know, it's just, it's a kind of a set of streets called Granby Triangle. Mm. Um, really beautiful terraced housing. And there are still people living there who... What, really, just dotted around? Yeah, just dotted around who have created, amazing community gardens there's markets so if you go there it looks a bit wastelandy and i think you can take some photos where it just seems like it must be completely derelict <laughs> but actually it's like thriving and um there's you know it, it, like we're not bringing anything it's already there we, we're, we're just kind of doing our job to enact the Spruce kind of building pro enact the building process which is what they've needed help with so has um, the turner prize been concentrating on the kind of uh added value that you're adding to this not as in value as in money as in like for community or like making the street more artistic or is, is or is that where you're wondering why they you've been nominated? i mean i i have no idea i have no idea i'm not going to question it but <laughs> it's uh it's, oh i think that's what's going to be interesting in the next few months is to under try and understand and unpick hmm. how it fits within whatever the Turner Prize is supposed to, to represent. And it's for, for, for them to really kind of create that conversation. Um, for us, the project's quite kind of clear. We're just mm. assisting the Community Land Trust to very much have instigated this project themselves. You, so, you know, like we were talking about the kind of uh, uh, the momentum of Assemble, it kind of just draws everyone in. Surely getting nominated for the Turner Prize, everyone feels... It, it just adds adds an extra level of seriousness to assemble, and I was wondering, like, uh, is 
you've got a really good client base now you've been you know you're quite you're in the press a lot you've you know people are really starting to recognize who you guys are is the goal to kind of make this a permanent thing or is everyone does everyone eventually want to kind of draw in and work here permanently or is the luxury of kind of picking the projects you love and it's a passion thing I guess the more pressure inevitably less creative it becomes because it's like a business then isn't it is there is there that kind of ratio of when does it become a business is it still a passion project or are you guys aware of that or discuss it or um i think assemble is just whatever it is at that one moment defined by the people who are there like working on it i mean we often are like how do we define who's in assemble and Mm. often it's just like well who's on the lunch rotor you know (laughs) if your name's on the lunch rotor then you're in assemble um but that you know that's not a perfect way of doing it because there are others but um um, I think it's not really a concern um, about making it into a business. I mean, we take on design and architectural projects like any other practice would, mm. and it's uh, it's sustained by the work. So when we have work, we are assemble, and when there are no projects, maybe we're not assemble. I don't I don't know. Mm. No one's got like a long-term plan um so i think that's what's quite interesting what you were saying earlier about talking about the temporary because we don't actively now pursue temporary work um some of our projects might have that element and we definitely kind of feel like we've explored what potential temporary projects have but i quite like thinking of assemble as temporary in that this week it's how it is and next week it could be completely different yeah. and that this kind of change and the ability and flexibility of it to be whatever it needs to be in that moment yeah. is like the kind of quality which is hard to define but potentially the most interesting bit about it yeah the idea you, you can deconstruct assemble and it disappears and then rebuild it again yeah and they only need it. I you mean, know we could we could only take on office developments and that's what assemble is but it'll probably have the same sensibility and approach. It's just mm. a type of work will be different. Or tomorrow we could all turn around and say like, we're artists now, we're only going to do. <laughs> yeah, we've been nominated. Yeah, exactly. Artists. But it's just not going to be like that, is it? So it's, yeah, it's about individuals working yeah. kind of collectively to just create work that interests us. Because I think what, because doing the podcast, what what drew me to, to kind of assemble and the other people I want to interview is that they're kind of, they're, they wear their personality on their shirt, right? Like, as I just said, assemble, you have like, I feel you have quite a strong architectural uh, design and you've just said, well, actually your, your practice itself kind of represents how you do buildings and how you work. And it feels like a very pure expression of what it is, I guess. And (laughs) that's what I liked. And hopefully I can interview other people. Can we put that quote on our website? (laughs) Pure expression of what it is. Sure, why not? I'll I'll be quoted. (laughs) Thanks, Jim. 2015. But uh, yeah, one of the things I wanted to say was we're coming up to the 50-minute mark, so we'll wrap this up now. But um, uh, I'm going to publish this on a podcast app called Acast. And then the idea of Acast, you can embed images and stuff into a podcast, right? So as you're listening to any phone or computer or anything, uh, the images pop up. So what I wanted to do is uh, obviously this is such a visual conversation as Mm. well. I'm familiar with the the projects, but I'll stick, uh, if it's okay, the website, their website images on, you know, tiny quality. And then uh, any links and stuff that we've mentioned about, you know, about the um, Turner Prize and stuff and the competition yeah. entries and some of the folly and some of the articles and oh, stuff. Cool. Try and put all that in. Because I guess the idea is I want to try and do one a month or ideally two a month, but I see how much time I've got. And then 
at the end of the year there's like a really nice like historical and evidence-based thing of all the things that I kind of like a little adventure I've been on so uh (laughs) so yeah so that's what I want to do but I get I guess we'll wrap up with like what are you working on now like when I came in there is an enormous (laughs) pink fake concrete slide yeah (laughs) you can explain it a little more elegantly than that um, so I'm currently working on the Brutalist Playground, which will be in the RIBA gallery space, mm. Portland Place, for two months this summer, opening the 9th of June. And we have taken um, these amazing, surreal um, play structures built in concrete in the 1960s and 70s that no longer exist, but you can see in images from the RIBA archives. And we've interpreted them for a gallery space to try and entice and bring interest to um, these kind of projects that have not really been seen or mm. given any kind of attention before. So we're working with Simon Terrell, this um, artist who we've kind of dragged into this world of reconstituted pink, green and blue foam, <laughs> um, who's Classic also materials. done some film, <laughs> some amazing film work Um using archival images so hopefully it's just going to be this like really weird super weird play space um that might get people for adults for children you have to take your shoes off Mm. um it's gonna be great (laughs) um so the, the idea is it's a way of using the platform of an exhibition to provoke a kind of um conversation or questions about play brutalism um risk uh, materiality um so without posing any answers but just kind of creating an incredible space to because they to are sort of investigate these enormous issues enormous yeah they're, they're pretty big pink. <laughs> <laughs> you should see the flying saucer it's a five meter diameter steel structure clad in green foam with a bright yellow handrail not definitely worth coming to, to see today. yeah that sounds uh <laughs> doesn't sound like something i would expect to see five meter flying saucer yeah covered yeah, in yeah. pink foam green green foam green that foam. one's green sorry yeah, yeah sure yeah, that makes more um, sense so yeah that's a that's a fun one when it where is it again riba um yeah riba's main main building portland place amazing yeah thank you very Should much come. that was Thanks, brilliant man. No, nice to talk to you that was the uh, the the first create more podcast uh i really enjoyed that i that that could have honestly gone on for another hour i think i think the second i stopped recording there was about a five second lull where i just stopped the recording and then we chat for about another 45 minutes an hour and uh maybe in a year's time uh i'll i'll interview her again and see what she's been up to because she's such an interesting person and her assembler amazing they're um yeah, they've just got so much cool stuff going. So check out their website, Assemble Studios, because if, especially if you're an architect student, it's brilliant. And um, I, uh, I promised at the end of the podcast that I would explain why I so blatantly stole uh, the welcome, welcome, welcome from. Uh, it's obviously from the Scroobius Pip Distraction Pieces podcast, and uh, so 
I love podcasts. The the one I've been listening to the most is that one recently, and and before that it was um, the Nerdist, which is another brilliant podcast. And uh, they've done like six hundred now. They do one a day. I don't know how they do it, and uh, it's brilliant. And then that that got me into the Distraction Pieces podcast by Scroobius Pip, and uh, I didn't know anything about him. I'd n- I never heard of him before. He literally popped up on iTunes as someone as you may like listening to the Nerdist, and uh, so I started listening to his podcast, and it was it was just really really interesting. And I thought hey, that's just. He's a guy. He's just he's just having a, a, like a chat with you know, granted, very famous people. And I was like, well, that, I want to do that. So uh, I was uh, at makes. Uh, I was in the basement of the basement of Broadgate, the project I'm working on at the moment. And uh, my uh, my Canadian muse, Mr. Craig Mundell, uh, just listened to me daily go on and on about potentially starting a podcast. So do you know what? I just I just emailed Pip. Uh, call him Pip, first name basis. Uh, and, and I said, look, I'm just thinking of starting a podcast. Um, do you have any advice? Like, how did you do this? How did you do that? And, uh, and within five minutes, got a response from him saying, that's amazing. You should definitely do it. And do you know what? All it took was just this tiny little random email from him just saying, just go for it. You know, like with what literally what's the worst that can happen. So, uh, he also said he was, uh, you know, he was looking for an architect, but that was by the by. So uh, I said, well, I'd uh, I kick myself. I didn't tell you what I was doing. So, um, so yeah, we're working on a tiny little project together, which is, um, which is awesome. And uh, just nothing bad has come from doing this podcast and only good things have happened. So uh, yeah, if, if anyone wants to email me and ask me about other people to other people to interview or who the hell do I think I am just going on and doing a podcast when I'm just a nobody well then fine uh, but my email address is ben.stewart at playedstudio.com and uh, I really hope you enjoyed that and next month's podcast is going to be with David Batchelor, who is uh, just a brilliant uh, I guess you'd call him a, a light artist but uh, go and check him out and uh, I'm going over to his studio in the next uh, two or three weeks so I think this will come out this will come out next Wednesday on Acast and uh, I'll have embedded images, like I said. And then the following month, I'll sit down with David at his studio in Bow and I'm really excited about it. And hopefully that will kind of get the momentum going. I'll find my feet a bit and then uh, I'll start, uh, I'll potentially try to start upping this to maybe um, maybe two podcasts every month, which I'm really excited about. And uh, yeah, I really hope you enjoyed that and thanks for listening. When we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and 365-day returns.